Matthew 8 marks the beginning of a new section in the Gospel as we transition from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to His teachings, or sorry, of His teachings to a series of miracle stories for the next two or three chapters that highlight His works. Matthew has arranged these events in a very particular way. If you were to compare them to some of the other Gospel accounts, you'll find that they're uh, listed but in different orders. And so uh, it's important that we that we pay attention to what Matthew's doing here. But Matthew uh, arranges them in this way to emphasize first Jesus' authority in his words. We have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which ended with, as we looked at last week there, the, the authority of his teaching. And now he transitions to the authority of his works. The things that he says have the authority of God behind them. But now we see that the things that he does have the authority of God uh, with him. Beginning in chapter 8, we read a series of uh, several miracles that highlight Jesus' power over things such as sickness and disease, the weather, and even spiritual uh, darkness, uh, the spirit world. Matthew's and he groups these stories together, again, to emphasize what was just said about Jesus in verse 29 of chapter 7, this authority not only in what he says, but in what he does. Now, overall, the context that we, that we see, in, in, if you were to read through these chapters with many of these stories I'm sure you're familiar with, overall, I think we, we can say that the, the, the theme here, the point of it, is that Jesus, as the Son of God, has ultimate sovereign authority. As again, not, he speaks with the same power that he acts in. And this is important to the Jews uh, in this day to realize that this one not only speaks better than the prophets or speaks better than the, the scribes, he acts in a different way than they do as well. And the Apostle John wrote in his, in his Gospel that if all the things that Jesus had done were written down, that the world itself wouldn't be able to contain the number of books that were written therein. And so the inclusion of these particular events uh, must have some type of meaning and significance to us. And so as we work through these, we have to remember that this is not the only time that Jesus did these types of things, but for some reason, hopefully a reason that we will get, they were included into the Scripture, and so we want to pay attention and find out their purpose. And Matthew uses the word behold there right away uh, in his story to kind of grab our attention. The word behold is, is, is a command. Uh, to, to look, to pay attention. Hey, re- reader, what's going on here? Look, look here and see what is, what is happening. Carefully observe what is happening in each event. And so we do that with this first one here, uh, the cleansing of a leper. And this first story is, as you know, is a, a leper who came to Jesus. Jesus had uh, preached a great sermon. His crowd, uh, his, his crowd is growing. The, 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 those who are following Him are marveling at the authority by which he spoke. And at some point in this narrative, a man approached Jesus, and by doing so, he approached the crowd. Now, we know he wasn't like them. Matthew tells us he was a leper, which means that everybody who saw him coming probably wished he hadn't. They were a little bit annoyed. They would have shrunk back from him. They would have been disgusted at his disregard for what is appropriate and acceptable. More than likely, uh, a, a little irritated at his lack of consideration for the rules of society. And you know, 
how you feel when someone comes to work or school and they have something that is obviously uh, wrong with them. Uh, don't power through it. Stay home. Don't be a hero. And here this man has probably one of the worst diseases known at that time, second only to death, and he enters the crowd, and which goes against everything that, that, uh, that the law had, had said for him to do. Some probably told him to go away, as we see the crowds told the children to be silent. We see the crowds telling blind men to be quiet, not to, not to disturb the teacher. It is very likely, though it's not recorded here, that these men and women in the crowd told, Jesus, uh, told uh, the, the, the leopard to get away. He had no business to be there. We know a lot about leprosy just from reading the Scriptures. It's not necessarily a disease that we confront on a day-to-day basis here in 21st century America, although it does exist in other places in the world. But what we read about a leprosy in the Scriptures tells uh, of a very tragic condition. Leprosy is a disease that affects the skin, the eyes, the nose, the nerves, causes the affected areas to lose the sense of touch and pain which can bring serious harm to a person simply because they don't know what they're doing is, is uh, damaging their body. Because of the way that leprosy attacked the body, it brought a, a slow and humiliating death. One person described it as death by inches. Though leprosy is, is not really a highly contagious disease, it was a very serious one in, uh, in Bible times and, and obviously a very disgusting one because of the way that it would attack the body. Uh, and, and it was it was a serious disease, not necessarily because they felt that they would contract it, but because it was it represented ceremonial or spiritual uncleanness. You, know, you can get leprosy uh, from another from a leper, but it's not it's not uh, as as uh, contagious as as we may what we may think of it. But it represented uh, a spiritual uncleanness. It represented a ceremonial uncleanness, and so then anyone who came in contact with a leper, uh, was considered unclean himself. And that meant that that person had to go through a thorough washing of the body, washing or even burning of their clothes, and even a time of isolation and quarantine just to be able to re-enter society because they had come in contact. And we can read through the Scriptures and then through other, uh, other uh, historical resources that uh, there, was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of stipulations on how close you could come to it a leper, and if the wind was blowing, then you had to be even further away. And if you're, and if you went in, he stuck your. If the leper stuck his head in your house, your whole house is unclean. And there were just all kinds of, uh, of, of uh, you were safeguards to keep the lepers away from the population, because the idea was to keep the unclean away from the clean. And so lepers were forced to live away from society, either by themselves or in. Uh, leper colonies, and they were forbidden to live or among or even come near the population. Because of the way that leprosy works, it was usually a death sentence. There were no cures available. And in fact, in this time, if someone were to be cured of leprosy, it would be considered a miracle. If you think back to the many leprosy stories that you've heard of in the Old Testament, uh, I, I believe that most of them, if not all of them, were, were cured by two different people. They were cured by uh, Moses or they were cured by Elijah or Elisha. You always get those two guys mixed up. But it wasn't a common occurrence. And, and, and it was one of those diseases that we kind of see as, oh, it doesn't even affect me. It's, it's, it's almost like a, it doesn't even exist anymore because I don't have to deal with it. 
and so it must be okay. And we have treatment now that can that can kind of combat that and and uh, and keep a keep a person from uh, suffering. But in those days, those things weren't available. And so when there was a a, a suggestion that someone was clean, it was immediately thought of to be a miracle. Lepers were considered the living dead because there was no. It was just a matter of time before they were eventually, uh, eventually uh, found found dead. And this is how this man was was forced to live. We don't know how long he was a leper, but he was uh, a leper long enough that he was unclean and he was sick and tired of it. And he wanted to be he wanted to be healed. He wanted to be cleansed. We don't know um, a lot about this man, but we do know based on the culture and the society that nobody wanted him around. He had left and lost a family, if he had one, friends, any kind of a life that he may have had. He looked bad. He smelled even worse. And even the way because that leprosy affected the vocal cords and the larynx, he would have sounded. He would have had that unique sound of a leper. Every bit of him was affected by this disease of leprosy. But, as the story tells us here, one day he heard, Jesus was coming his way. We don't know what he knew about Jesus, whether he believed that Jesus was the Messiah or not. He uses the the term Lord here, and some argue that it's just a a respectful term such as sir, but others would say that there's a little bit more uh, meaning that he, he recognized Jesus as a little bit more than a miracle man. But we, what we do read here is that there's one thing that the leprous man did know, and that was this. Jesus could help him. And so he made his way, regardless of what the crowd thought, regardless of what the, the, the culture uh, dictated for him, he made his way to find Jesus. Now imagine the shock and the disgust of the crowd as this leper made his way to Christ. They would have made a wide path for him. They would have uh, uh, given him a, 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 a wide berth, if you will, not out of respect, not even out of sympathy, but simply uh, they didn't for out of fear for getting too close to him and becoming unclean. So I imagine as I, as I play this story in my mind that here's the crowds following Christ and all of a sudden from the outs, outskirts of this, this big mob of people it begins to part and one man is very much isolated as he walks. And people are holding their breath and gathering their clothes around them to make sure that no part of them or their clothes touches this man because then that would render them to be unclean just as this man was. And as he continues to make his way through the crowd, uh, there are there, the, 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 the gap begins to widen until we find this man standing in front of Jesus, surrounded, if you will, by a group of people looking on in uh, probably anger, messing up their service, messing up their, their time together, messing up their, their traveling, whatever they may have been doing at that time, and they're listening in as to what Jesus was going to, what, what, what Jesus would do there. This man had violated their custom. Not only was he supposed to uh, withdraw from society, he was supposed to warn ever, uh, anyone from ever coming near him. If he were sitting at his little booth or wherever he were to sit in the, in the wilderness and someone was coming his way, he was required to, to call out unclean. Unclean. I'm unclean. Stay away from me. 
and yet he does the exact opposite. Instead of keeping the clean ones away from him so that he wouldn't affect them, he goes to the clean and he looks for Christ. This man disregarded what is proper and acceptable so that he could find Jesus. Because the man knew that Jesus could help him. If you're a leper, I guess, what do you have to lose? Everything to gain. And as we know, this leper will soon be healed, just as many of the lepers who came to Jesus, just as the untold numbers of people that came to Christ found physical and spiritual health. But as I said before, this is just one of many stories uh, that were that actually occurred in Jesus's ministry, and one of seeming uh, comparatively a very few number of stories that were recorded in the scriptures. So, what do we need to gather from this story here? What do we need to know? Is it more than Jesus healed a leper? How does that do anything? What does that mean uh, in the overall scope, and how does that apply to us? So, this morning. I want to look at four aspects of Jesus' healing of this leper. Four things that, uh, that uh, kind of mark this miracle story for us. Number one, we see His ability. All of these are Jesus by, by meaning His. Jesus' ability. Jesus was able to heal the man. If you look there in verse number, uh, verse number 2, it says that the, the, this man came to Him and said, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. You can make me clean. The leper knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. There's so much uh, packed in this little statement right here. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He had faith in Jesus' ability to heal. Maybe he had heard of some of other uh, Jesus' other miracles. Maybe the word had spread about Jesus' unique ability to uh, influence uh, seemingly impossible situations. We don't know everything that the man had heard or believed about Christ, but we know that he was convinced and sure that Christ had the ability to heal him. But if you'll notice his statement here, he didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Of course, he wanted to be healed because that's why he'd come. He had really put himself out there and risked a lot uh, in order to find the help that he needed. But he simply came to Jesus. He fell down before him, and it says he, he he basically stated the truth. You can help me. You can heal me if you're willing. Now we know, as we saw a little bit last week, Jesus, as the Son of God, had been given the authority to uh, heal diseases such as leprosy. Because leprosy was such a dreadful and, and an incurable disease, it was believed that only God could heal it. Whenever it happened, as I said, it was, it was considered a miracle. If you remember the story of Naaman, Back in 2 Kings chapter 5, you can jot it down and look at it later if you want to refresh your memory. But uh, in 2 Kings, uh, the, uh, the, the story goes that a Syrian king had a, uh, a servant named Naaman. He was one of his, one of his uh, top soldiers. And Naaman had leprosy. And Naaman had a little uh, a, a Jewish slave girl. And she said, if you could only make it to the prophet in Israel, you would be clean. And so uh, the, king, uh, the king of Syria sent Naaman to Israel, to the king of Israel, to be healed. And he accompanied Naaman with a letter. And this letter said, it's in uh, 2 Kings 5, it says, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. 
Now, we are filled with faith, those of us in the 21st century. We know that how Jesus is going to, or how God is going to work through a prophet and going to heal him. But put yourself in the king of Israel's shoes. Because a rival king, an enemy, has sent one of his top men and said, we're going to trust that you're going to heal him. That's why we sent him to you. And, and after reading this, the Bible says that the king of Israel was very troubled by this. He was not a man of great faith, knowing exactly what to do. And he said this. He, it said, the Bible says he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? This man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Because that was the, that was the idea during that time, that, that God only could heal leprosy. And the king of Israel is saying, Am I God? I didn't give him leprosy. I can't take it away. That is only up to God. And one of the identifying traits that the Jews had of the Messiah was that he would heal people. Specifically, he would uh, heal the lepers. If we were, well, Eventually, we're going to get there about three years from now. We'll get to Matthew chapter 11. And we will read about uh, John the Baptist when he doubted. Uh, he was in prison, and he was, he was a little unsure of who Jesus was. And uh, he was the same one that said, Behold the Lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world. But now in prison, just because of circumstances around him, did not seem to go the way he thought they should go. He sent word to Jesus and he said, are you the one that should come or are you supposed to be looking for another? And in response to that, because John was actually saying, cousin, are you Messiah or not? This is how Jesus responded. Mark, uh, Matthew 11 verse 4 says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And this is Jesus' way of saying, John, look at what I'm doing and listen to what I'm saying. My words and my works speak for me. They ascribe to me the Messiahship uh, that, that, I, that I have. And so this is, this is the idea behind this, this, uh, this, this curing of leprosy, that it was only going to be done by God or the one who would be sent by God, the Messiah, the, 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 the anointed one there. And somehow this leper knew that Jesus would be able to heal him of his leprosy. He recognized in Jesus the God-given power to cleanse him of his disease. And of this, he had no doubt. This is incredible faith. I know Jesus can heal me. How often do we, though, doubt God's ability? We are people of faith. And yet so often we doubt that God can make a difference in our lives. We limit God with a doctor's prognosis. When people, the, mo the smartest and the brightest of us, run out of answers, we assume God has too. When we have no more options, we guess that God doesn't either. And when we have no more solutions, we assume that God is just as hopeless and helpless as we are. But the fact is, the same God who healed Naaman the leper in 2 Kings and who healed the leper in Matthew chapter 8 is the same God that we worship today. As we sang the song this morning, I exalt thee, we sang that to the same God that healed Naaman the leper. And we sing that to the same God that was present in Matthew chapter 8 and healed the leper there. We sing to the same Christ that was crucified and, and, was, and is risen again and sits at the right hand of the throne of God this morning. We know... But yet sometimes we doubt. Job said at the end of his suffering in Job 42, I know that you can do all things. 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3 were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they made that, that incredible statement. They said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And in fact, they went on and they said, He will deliver us, but if not, they, they, had, they made no presumption on if He wouldn't, but they said He can. He is able to deliver us, and regardless, even if He doesn't, we will not bow down. Why do we doubt what our God can do? If God brought the world into existence, and not just planet Earth, but everything that we see, go up in, in the middle of the night and look up at the stars in the sky. I was just talking to someone this week about the ridiculousness of, uh, and if you have one of these, I'm sorry, but it is a little bit far-fetched, of, you know, when someone names a star after you, and it's like, who gave you the right to, to say that you're going to get to do that, and how do I know that that's not the same star you gave to Barbara last week? But I was reading something this week that says that he, God gave the stars their names. God spoke to them into existence, and He gave them each a name, and He knows them, and it's the same God who did all of this with a few simple words. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be elephants, and there were elephants. I mean, and he just did it, and it was, and it was there by his word, and that's the same God and, and that, that we serve, and if he can do things like that, certainly he can take care of my little problem. As big as it may seem to me, it is but a light thing to our God. If God can do miracles for others, that means he can do them for us. Jeremiah the prophet uh, wrote this in uh, Jeremiah 32, Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And later on in Jeremiah 32, 27, God said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? That's a rhetorical question, folks, because there's nothing too hard for God. Is there anything too hard for God? I mean, put that, we, we are limited people, and there are things that are too hard for us, but as Jesus said, uh, with God, all things are possible. Why do we doubt Him? We must be convinced of the truth. God can do anything. But the second thing I want you to notice here is His willingness. That Jesus not only was able to help the man, He was willing to heal the man. We recognize that the same thing that the leper recognized, that Jesus had the ability to heal him, but we, see, we must also see what the man saw, that Jesus chose to help him. Because He said, if you are willing, you can make me king. He wasn't presuming on God's grace. He wasn't demanding that God would do these things. He said, God... Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can do something about it. We call this the sovereignty of God. Jesus had to be willing to help the man. The leper knew that Jesus had the power to heal him, but it was his choice whether he would heal him or not. And he acknowledged that it all depended on Jesus' willingness to heal him. That's what, that's what the words there uh, imply. And that even the way that Jesus responded there acknowledged these things. One writer, uh, Grant Osborne, wrote that true faith does not demand that Jesus fulfill the request, but rather surrenders to the knowledge that Jesus can do so if He wishes to. This means that God has a sovereign ability to help. He can do anything. 
But he also has a sovereign will. He can do anything he wants. That's what sovereignty means. God is neither limited nor obligated in anything. True faith doesn't make demands. It comes to him in humility and faith. And it relies on God's ability and yields to his will. Third thing I want you to notice here is his compassion. The fact that the leper approached Jesus is a remarkable thing. The faith that it took to leave wherever he lived and find Jesus amidst all of the opposition is an incredible thing to imagine. And his great faith displayed in his statement, if you're willing, you can make me clean, is, is another amazing uh, a, a faith act. But what Jesus did is the most surprising thing of all. What did Jesus do? Well, it's important that as we read stories like this, especially ones that we've, we've heard so many times and we're so familiar with, that we don't rush through them. Don't rush through and, and get to the end, the good part, because you miss the good part. If you skip, if you, if you read too fast and don't pay attention to it, think for a moment what it must have been like to witness this account firsthand. To, if we had been a part of the crowd, and if Jesus had been standing in the midst of us, and all of a sudden a leper came, and the crowd began to part, and, and, and that was us, and we're standing back keeping our healthy distance and wondering what Jesus is going to do now. Is Jesus going to be like the rest of us? He's going to put a hanky up to his face so he doesn't breathe in that nasty smell. Is he going to cover his clothes and make sure that uh, that, 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 that uh, he doesn't get affected by this man? Is he going to step back and retreat with the crowd just like Jesus or just like we did? Maybe Jesus would ignore him. Maybe he would just simply move on. He has no time for people like this. After all, Jesus is the one who speaks with authority greater than our scribes. He is the one who is doing great and mighty things. He's, he is really becoming something of a celebrity. He has no time for an outcast. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't shrink back. He didn't criticize the man. He didn't ignore him. Instead, he reached out and he touched him. He touched him. He touched a leper. It says there, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Can you imagine how long it had been since this man had experienced human contact? Surely nobody touched him from the moment the priest had diagnosed him with leprosy. And as the leprosy took its toll, he would have even lost the ability to feel human touch. But I have to wonder that this man felt this touch. He felt it this time. For the first time in a long time, he remembered what it was like to be touched by another person as he felt the fingers and the hand of Christ on his own skin. His own dirty, rotting skin. As we read of Jesus' other miracles, even if you just skim down the next few, few stories, we realize that Jesus healed people in many different ways. The very next story, He will heal a person that is not even there. He will not touch them. He will not see them. He will not even speak to them. He simply heals them. So why did he do it this way and in this particular story? I think the reason is, is, is pretty obvious. Why did Jesus reach out and touch the man that nobody else would? That's the reason. Because nobody else would. In fact, nobody else could. Because the law said that if you contacted and you touched a person with leprosy, you too would uh, become unclean. 
even to touch his clothes, as I said, would transfer his uncleanness to you. But when Jesus touched a man, uncleanness didn't affect Jesus. The uncleanness of his disease didn't affect Christ. Christ affected the disease. Christ affected the uncleanness. When Jesus touched a man, he affected him. As he reached out and he touched the leper, he didn't receive uncleanness. He gave cleansing. And as he reached out, he spoke the words in, in exact response to the man, if you're willing, you can heal me. He says, I am willing. Be clean. In response to the faith of the man who said, if you're willing, he said, I am. And in response to the man who said, you can make me clean, he said, be clean. Be cleansed. What a powerful statement. What condescension of the God of heaven who came not only to earth, who not only left heaven and came down to earth in the form of a baby and lived among people, yet He came close enough to touch us and to be touched by us. John in his first letter, 1 John, in the very beginning of his first letter, wrote, He who is from the beginning, we've heard Him. We have saw Him with our own eyes. We've looked on Him. We've touched Him with our own hands. It was the same John who at the Last Supper, leaned and reclined on Jesus. So intimate, so close with the God of heaven. His Savior King is so high above us, and yet He lowered Himself to us. He touched the dirty feet of His disciples and washed them. He touched the eyes of a blind man. He touched the ears of a deaf man. He let children sit in His lap as He blessed them. And taught them. He held to the hand of Peter as he was drowning in the sea. What amazing condescension that a God so high would reach down so low. What amazing, gentle touch of the Savior. The fourth thing here is the immediacy of the change. He was immediately cleansed there. Notice there it says, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The Bible says that uh, the leprosy was gone in an instant. It was completely and totally gone. As suddenly as Naaman. Go back and read 2 Kings 5 if you're not familiar with the story there. Naaman was told to dip in the the Jordan. I think it was Jordan River seven times. And for six times he came up just wet. But on the seventh time he came up clean. And the Bible says his skin was as clean as a little baby's. It was as smooth and as pure uh, with no imperfections as a little child. That's how I imagine this man's skin looked. You know what that means? Now that he's no longer a leper, he can go back home. He can go back to his family. He can go back to his friends. He can begin a family if he didn't have one. He can get a job. He can get a house. He can have a life. In the blink of an eye, he'd been healed by the touch of Christ. There's a gospel song that that uh, talks about how uh, people in the Bible have been healed by the miraculous grace of the touch of the Savior. And part of the song goes, I've been healed. I've been touched by His grace. I've felt His power. And now I've been changed. There's one explanation. The God of creation has done a miracle in me. Let my story be told. Let the truth be known. I've been healed. Is this wasn't a gradual healing like we see sometimes on, on the television where they like, oh, they, they, they kind of limp their way to, to healing. But this man was instantly and forever clean 
cleansed from his leprosy. Jesus had totally changed this man for the good. But the last thing I want you to see is the restoration there. Jesus not only wanted to heal the man, he wanted to completely restore the man. Look down at at, at verse number 4. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, if this were some Hollywood movie, this is the point at the end of verse number 3 where we begin to hear that background music begin to build up. Maybe it's joyful and triumphant, and the man joins the crowd, and everybody's cheering and jumping up and down, and he's hugging people because he hasn't done that for years, and he's just celebrating with the people. Maybe we imagine Jesus walking off into the sunset, maybe unnoticed by the crowds as he did many times. He would just slip away uh, without any fanfare while the others celebrate. But that's not how the story goes. Because then after healing the man, after touching him and speaking these words of healing to him, he doesn't stop. He says, now, don't tell anybody about this. Wait a minute. Why would he say that? Why would he say, now don't tell anybody that I healed you? First of all, there's a bunch of people around that just saw it happen. And why wouldn't you want to tell everybody about the great news that just happened to you in your life? When good things happen to you, we usually want to tell somebody, right? We usually want to tell somebody when we got married or when we got engaged or when we had a birthday or when we had a a job promotion or when uh, we had a baby or whatever the things may be. We want to tell somebody. Why would Jesus tell them here, don't tell anybody about this? This isn't really how the story is supposed to go. Remember Peter and John, when they were threatened to not speak in Jesus' name anymore, they said, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Couldn't that man say something similar? Jesus. How can I not tell anybody? Surely this would help promote Jesus and help people to rest assured that He is the Messiah. I mean, these are the things that are going to promote Him and and push Him to further heights in ministry. Why keep quiet about it? Well, verse number 4 tells us why. Jesus instructed the man to go back to the priest and offer a gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them or a witness to them. And back in Leviticus 14, if you want to read uh, about leprosy a little bit, Leviticus 13 and 14 and 15 talk about these unclean diseases and how things are supposed to uh, be treated. And Leviticus 14 talks about these strict procedures if the miraculous ever happened and a leper was cleansed of his leprosy. He simply couldn't go back into town and pick up life wherever he wanted to, just how he had left it. He had to be examined. He had to be proved. And it involved days of examination and proving. And it involved offerings and gifts that that, that meant traveling back to the temple. That meant showing himself to the priest. Going through these tests and procedures and examinations before finally being officially declared free and clear of his leprosy. Old Testament law dictated that only the priests could uh, diagnose somebody and only the priests could give somebody with leprosy a clean bill of health. And the priest didn't heal the leper. The priest didn't, just like the priest didn't give the leper his leprosy, all he did was recognize officially the cleansing. But not only that, Jesus said, go back to the priest. He says, I want you to offer the gift that Moses commanded. And this, this gift that Moses commanded was a series of sacrifices. Not even just one. It was a series of them of burnt offerings and sacrifices and offered it to God as thanksgiving. There were sin sacrifices and all of these things. 
Uh, and Jesus explained that by doing all of this, it would be a proof to them. It would be a proof to the priest who would officially declare him clean. It would be a proof to those who knew that he had been a leper. It would be a witness. And then, and only then, could the man return to life as a normal person. This is not the only time. In fact, if we read in Mark, many of the times that Jesus healed somebody, He told people, don't tell anybody what I did. And there are several suggestions as to why Jesus may have done this. Uh, but uh, just for sake of, uh, just sake of time and, and, and for, for helpfulness, the particular reason is at the very end there to be a proof. We, we do know that Jesus wanted His healing to be witnessed. He wanted it to be proven. The priest would officially pronounce him clean and able to re-enter society. And all the people who knew of his former condition would rest assured that he was fit to be among them once again. If he just simply went back home, everyone would think, aren't you a leper? No, there's a procedure you have to go through. You can't just jump back into these things. And Jesus wanted the man's healing to be a witness to the priest who would pronounce him clean and to the community then who would recognize him as such. Because Jesus was not only interested in healing the man physically, He wanted, He desired for him a complete restoration, a total change in his life. Because now the man could live among the living as the ceremonial and spiritually clean. Now he could attend the synagogue and hear the teaching of Scripture. Now he could attend the the temple worship and worship God as, as He had commanded His people. Jesus is interested in bringing healing to difficult and impossible situations, but He's not limited to just that. He doesn't even want it to stop there. He wants the healed and cleansed people to be brought back into the community of fellow healed and cleansed people. That's what the church is for. It's a group of people who had at once been spiritual lepers, found healing in Christ, and have been brought into a community to fellowship. There's no, there's no indication of going back into the old way of living. Jesus didn't want the leper to go back to his old home and resume his lifestyle just not dying anymore. He had new plans for him. He had something greater for him than a leper colony. He wanted him to get back with God's people. This man wasn't supposed to continue living as a leper because he was no longer a leper. There was something greater for him. And likewise, when a person is cleansed by Christ, it's not simply to remove our sin remove the leprosy, if you will, but to restore us to what the leprosy had prevented us from having. And throughout the Scripture, leprosy is, a, is symbolic of sin. Like leprosy, sin makes its victims unclean and unable to stand before God. It deadens them. It hardens their hearts. So that the Bible says no one seeks after God. Isaiah tells us We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy rag. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. But like the man in the story, we see that we've all been born with a sin disease. Right? We read in the the, the confession this morning, Psalm 51 says, In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about his mother being promiscuous. He's saying that from the very beginning, I've been a sinner. Since the day I was born, we are born sinners and spiritual lepers, unable to clean ourselves, and therefore unable to stand before a holy God. 
Our spiritual leprosy deadens our senses. Makes us unaware of just how much danger we're in until it's too late. Our sin disease may not be as repulsive as other people's. In fact, we may look at other spiritual lepers and feel, hey, I'm a lot better off than they are. Look how bad they've gotten. I'm not that bad. And the fact is, we're still lepers. And if we're honest, we've kind of become accustomed to the stench of our own sin. The numbing and decaying disease that you have may not be as bad as somebody else, but it is still a numbing and decaying disease. Your body might be alive, but your spirit is dead. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. What do we do? How do we deal with this leprosy? We are just as unable to heal ourselves of our spiritual leprosy as the man in this story was of his own leprosy. But like the leper, we must see in Jesus the authority and the power over sin and His ability to help us. We must come in our filthiness and acknowledge our inability to save ourselves and trust in Him alone. We must come to Him and say, like the leper, Lord, if You are willing, only You can make me clean. That's the glorious news of the Gospel. That only He is able. But not only is He able, He's willing. We don't have to wonder, God, if You're willing to save me. I want to be saved. He is willing. That's why it's good news. Because you can be cleansed. You can be healed. You can be forgiven. Made new. If you, like the first man in the story, understand your sinful condition, recognize the power and authority within Christ, you too can boldly approach Him. Experience His compassionate touch and His saving power. Simply confess your belief in His ability to save you from your sin. Trust His Word. It teaches us that those who come to Him will not be cast away. The truth is, everyone here today, if they're a Christian, at one time was a spiritual leper. Each and every one of us But as Jesus said in Mark 2, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you recognize your condition, and if you can hear the call of that great physician, you can come to Him and find Him not only able and compassionate, but willing to heal. You too can be cleansed. But then for those of us who have already experienced that healing touch, know that He desires much more than an initial cleansing. He desires to completely and restore us. He began a work in you and will perform it until the last day. He's designed it so that a whole community of former lepers will live in fellowship and service to one another. That's what this church is all about. We're a community of former lepers. Cleanse. Experience the healing power of Christ. So when we gather, we come to sing about Him. We sing to Him. We worship Him. We celebrate Him. We learn from Him. We live by His Word. We encourage each other. And we help others find their way 
the great physician who once healed us and continues to cleanse us. If you've been cleansed by the Savior, why don't you join us? Why don't you find the community rather than just going back to the colony you once lived in? And if you've ever heard the call of the healer, you need to find that cleansing. We'd love to introduce you. What you have to do is come.